Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. This morning, uh, this morning's conversation, I have titled it very appropriately, considering the song that we just sang as well, Fall Like Rain. Ask yourself this morning, just for a moment, uh, why would you ask God to fall like rain? Why would anyone write a song with those words? And why would we pick up as a worship team this song to share with you as we say those words, fall like rain? I believe it's for one reason. And one reason is because the person who wrote that song, I don't know who it was. But I'm imagining that the person who wrote those song, that, that song and, 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 and penned down those words understood what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord. Anybody know what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord? Come on, let's have a show of hands, a serious show of hands. Don't be lazy. Raise your hand. That's you. Don't disappoint the Lord by just saying you won't admit that I've been with you. Anybody have been in the presence of the Lord? Let me see your hands. Come on. Amen. We've been in the presence of the Lord. And we know how wonderful it is. And so I'm imagining that that person that wrote Fall Like Rain had to have known what it was like to be in the presence of the Lord. The second question is, after being in the presence of the Lord once, who would not want to live in the presence of the Lord? If it's so alleviating, it's so refreshing, it's the place where your soul most rejoices. It's when your mind is most free. It's where every pain in your body seems to flee. And no negative feelings come around. It's a place, again, as I like to call it, a place of immunity. It's a place where you become untouchable. A place where devils dare not enter. It's a place where disease has to loosen your body. It's worries flee and nothing consumes your thoughts except God. I think that we can basically boil this down to saying we need God. Amen? And that's the title of my conversation this morning. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Does anybody need the Lord anymore? Amen? Anybody need the Lord anymore? I've got good news this morning. I've got good news for those of you who have applauded and said amen. We need God. Is that there is indeed is a place where we can revel and meet with God. There is a place, a wonderful news for you and I, where you can find the answer to that question, does anybody need God? It's a place where we can go every morning, every afternoon, and every day all together. Again, I say it's a place where we can find immunity of all the surrounding things of this world. Again, the enemy won't dare mess with you in a time of worship. A place where sickness and disease are driven away. Or the pressures and trials of your life are not what consume you in the moment. How many know that you know, once we leave the church in reality, as we call it, hits us again. We've got the responsibility and the worries of tomorrow or even possibly this afternoon. But in this place that I'm talking about, after saying and answering, we need the Lord. We want someone to give us direction. Where is it we can find the God that we so much desire. Psalm 16, I, I love this particular passage. And he seems to give us a very simple yet profound and real and true answer. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. David here is giving us the answer for the question we ask. Does anybody need God? And if the answer is yes, then David will tell you this morning in this word where to find him. It's in his presence. Psalms 4 and 6 reads, Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with great joy and then when their grain and new wine abound, 
I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Only in your presence will I find the, that ambience of safety and comfort, that place of immunity where all the worries and the heaviness of this life flees and leaves us alone. Put your hand over your heart this morning as I begin to speak to you. And I need you, Lord. I pray that this becomes an earnest petition for every one of us in this house. Father, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name, Father, as we have surrendered the best of our worship unto you, Lord. We pray in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to open our hearts to receive a word of counsel from your word. That you would somehow, Father God, come by the wooing of your spirit to encourage us, Father. To hunger after you and to desire, Father God, the satisfaction of our souls, which is found only in your presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and blessings ever after. That's where we want to live and abide. Help us to do so today. Encourage us to chase after you, Father God, this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Those of you who have read the life of David in Scripture will know that he was a man of many troubles in his life. A lot of struggles in his life, both when he was a young man. I'm sure he struggled at home. We found what position he had amongst his brothers. He was the, the sheep carer in the house while the rest of the boys were probably doing more important things in the house of Jesse. And even after the Lord called him, his troubles did not cease there, but he continued in his troubles, as we know, his turmoil with King Saul at the time. And then we saw the battles that he fought, the challenges he faced, even in his own personal home, in his own personal convictions and errors in life, he struggled always. So you can imagine that only a man like him, at least a man like him, would always ask, where can I find rest for my soul? Where can I find peace? Just like you and I right now. How many of us need God? You said amen. How many enjoy the presence or the glory of God? We all said amen. So David did the same. And so he pens for us thousands of years later to read that he found the answer where he could find rest for his soul. And the answer is in the presence of the Lord. That was a place for him that he could run and find peace for his heart. It was under the shadow of the Almighty or under the wings of God's glory. God's glory. Does anybody need God's glory anymore? In this world that we're living in, does anyone need the presence of God's glory in our lives? It's a very popular passage that we have preached about over and over again from this pulpit now that we've been together for all these years. And I will use it once again because it never gets old and it should never get old. I'll use it to launch out this morning on our conversation. It comes out of Exodus 33, the words of Moses and his petition before God. Then Moses said, the verse simply says, now show me. Your glory. Now show me your glory. Just like David, Moses understood that in order for him to continue walking prosperously, victoriously in his life, he needed the glory of God in his life on a daily consistency. If he was going to continue in his joy and his overcoming on a daily basis, there was only one thing he came to learn, just like David, that was going to guarantee him such a life. And that was in the presence of God's glory. I know that many of us in this place, without question, have experienced the glory of God. I just asked you, and you were kind enough to raise your hands. We've experienced Corporately, we've experienced the presence of the Lord here in Rock of Ages. And I know that individuals at, in our time and moments of prayer, maybe at home, a time of prayer with your wife or with your children or wherever you have that private altar in your home, you have sensed the presence of the Lord. Or when you wake up in the morning and off to work, you find that quiet place and you bow down before God and you sense the glory of the Lord. So I know all of us have experienced that. But all of a sudden, the next day, 
Here come the troubles of life. The struggles and tribulations of life. And these troubles in our lives seem to make us forget the continuity, the fluidity of God's glory. That is, when we go through a problem, we forget that the glory of God is never ceasing. It doesn't end. But you ask yourself, why do I feel this way now? During this problem, you're not walking in the glory of God as you were yesterday when you were rejoicing and having a great time. Now this turmoil and trouble seems to make you forget or to consider the fact that God is unchanging. That if he was able to fill you and bathe you in his glory yesterday, that today even in the midst of your problems, his presence is still available. The glory, the richness, the wonderfulness, the satisfyingness of his glory is still existent even through your pain. I preached to you years ago, your pain does not change his promise. Nothing changes who God is. Nothing dwindles his power. Nothing fades out his glory. Not even your worst problems. You could go through the darkest time in your life tomorrow. And feel like the world just fell from under your feet. But the glory of God remains. The glory of God is unchangeable. It's not bound to ecological changes. It's not bound to governmental choices and changes. It's not bound to the elements. It's not bound to anything. It's free and it's fluid and it's continuous always. Remember, for the Lord Jesus is the same That means he's unchanging. In Malachi, the Lord said, I, the Lord, changes not. What confidence and what truth. I, the Lord, changes not. Lord, even when I'm sick, I change not. Even when I've lost what seems everything, I change not. Even when I'm hurting and sick like beyond anything else I've ever experienced, I change not. So if God does not change, his glory is unchanging as well. So the problem lies in this then. I hope we understand that when we are out of the glory of God and we don't sense the glory of God, it's not because there is no glory to experience. But it's more us not seeking that glory that day. Are you with me this morning? And that kind of puts us in a place of responsibility, right? Imagine the Lord standing in front of you, gigantic and beautiful as he is, and say, don't blame me. I've had a full supply for you all the way through. But what about last week? I was there. But, oh, remember, that I lost my job. Mm-hmm. And I was there. Remember all the troubles I had? Yeah, I was there. So the problem does not lie in the fact that maybe you might consider his glory had faded out or he ran out of it. But it's perpetual. It's forever. It's unending. It's unchanging. So then the problem lies in that you and I may not be seeking the Lord that day. We're not asking God for a fresh move of his glory in our lives that we've loved so much. You just said we love the presence of the Lord. I love being in the presence of the Lord. But I have to be honest with myself. And sometimes I go through stuff that I don't feel the presence of the Lord. But does that mean he's not there? I have to be honest with myself and say if he's not there, have you looked for him today? I can talk to you this way because this is how I talk to me. I'm not pointing any fingers. What's that old saying? You point a finger and three come back to you? I don't mind. I'm as honest as they come from this pulpit. 
Sometimes you go through something in life. I don't feel him. I even sometimes stop for the moments. Are you there? Was I driving too fast? Did I leave you behind? Did I wake up too early? Are you still in bed? Or did I go to sleep too early? You're still up in the living room somewhere? Did I miss you? What's going on? The Lord said, no, I'm there. I will never leave you or abandon you. I will never leave you as orphans. I will be with you, the Lord said to his people, until the end of the age. And so it comes to the point when we don't feel his glory in his presence. Even this morning, you might be sitting here in this service, and somebody right next to you just was bathing in the presence of the Lord, and you had your hands in your pocket. It was a dead service. No, my friend, you're dead. I don't care. Get mad. It's a dead service. How is it? Tell the brother next to you who was in blessing. It was a dead service, brother. Yeah, I know. Hallelujah. He's going to disagree with you. Why? Because we understand that God's glory is in this house now. And if you so desire it, it's here for you now. Stop blaming your neighbor. Stop blaming the pastor. Stop blaming your wife or your husband, sister, brother. Stop blaming the air conditioning. If you want the presence of the Lord, it's there. So it comes in not asking. And so for those of us who desire the presence of the Lord, I will give you three very basic principles this morning if I can. And I know... For all you Bible scholars, they may not sound very divine. It may not sound very revolutionary. Once I give you the first principle this morning, you're going to say, wow, pastor, truly, truly dig deep in the spirit to pull this truth out. How does he fathom the wonders of God with this first principle? Oh, my God, a pastor's the best. How many want the glory of God? Come on, how many want the glory of God? Then the first principle is that you need to search for God. Everybody go, wow. What a wonderful truth. It took me so deep into theological reasoning here. But as frivolous and as light and superficial as it may sound, there is nothing more true that if you want to dwell in the presence of the Lord, you need God in your life. You need the Lord in your life. Isaiah 55 and 6. I didn't give this to my PC guys. I apologize for that. Isaiah 55 and 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he is found. While he is near. I told the church this morning, ladies and gentlemen. In these United States, blessed United States that we live in. We are a bountiful country. We throw away food by the tons. I told the church you can go to any Whataburger or any fast food place and you'll find the trash cans with half-eaten sandwiches and fries and all this stuff. Full. I said everybody has so much to eat. Even our dogs are fat at home. And you don't buy them any food. They just feed what you throw away from your table. We're blessed. So much. But the Bible says that one day there's going to be a, a famine in this land. And a famine, ladies and gentlemen, that to this day we have not known, but it's coming. But it won't be because there won't be a water burger to buy a burger. It won't be because there's no flour at home to make your tortillas. But it's going to be a famine of the word of God. It's going to be a famine of the presence of the Lord himself. I told the church this morning, we have ministry after ministry and church after church. They park outside with trailers filled with boxes of food. And people drive by and we throw boxes of food in their cars whether they need it or not. But we give them boxes, four, five, six hundred boxes we've given out of food to people. And they take the food. So much. The Bible says that one day, ladies and gentlemen, this will be an empty venue. 
And there will be no one, no voice box behind the pulpit to offer the people the true bread of life. There's going to be people hungry. And they're going to say, here's a box of bologna and, and rice and everything. We don't need that. Does anybody preach in that church? Uh, sorry, there's nobody here. What are you giving out? Oh, we have a box of meat. We have everything for you here. Take, I, don't, I don't need that. Is, is there anybody inside who's offering Jesus the bread of life? Sorry, we, there's no, nothing like that. And they're going to be hungry. You're going to begin to see spiritual ribs in people. From the famine, you're going to see them skinny in their spirits and dying because there's not going to be anybody to preach the gospel to them anymore. And so we receive proper counsel from the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years ago saying, Seek the Lord while he may be found. You keep reading a little bit before in verse 1 and 2 of the same chapter. There's an invitation. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. And he gives us an admonishment. Why would you spend your food on your monies on food that does not satisfy and your labors on things that do not fulfill you? You come to me and get food that will really satisfy your soul. The bread of life. Seek God. In Revelations 22, verse 17, I can hear the Spirit of the Lord for those of us who are hungry, who will say to us all today what he told the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. He said, return and do the things you used to do. Because there will come a day that I'll remove your lamp. If you want to experience the glory of God, you need God. If this church ever wants to experience a move and the glory of God, church, God needs to become a priority in this house. Come on, somebody praise him this morning. I wish I had a Pentecostal church in this house that believed that we need Jesus in these last days. I pray how I pray that the Lord would wake up a Pentecostal church in the last days that would get tired of just playing the games of church and coming to church just to fulfill some religious etiquette. Hallelujah. Say we need Jesus in this house. If he's not here, we have gathered in vain. We have gathered in vain. Let me tell you something. You hear it from this pulpit a lot. From anyone who leads worship, myself, or anyone who preaches from this pulpit, we always include this in our prayer. We say, Lord, if you're not here, we've gathered in vain. And ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus is not here this morning, then we better go home. I've got better things to do. Then waste my time here. We need God. We need God. He told the church of Ephesus, go back to do stuff that you used to do. If you fell out of the glory, if you're not experiencing the glory of God, then you need to start going back and doing the stuff you used to do so that you can begin again getting engulfed with the presence of the Lord. But in order for us to experience the presence of the Lord, we need to come to the source of that glory. And who is the source of that glory? The Lord. He is the giver of that glory. Here's the truth of the matter. Those who dwell in the presence of the Lord dwell in the glory of the Lord. Exodus chapter 25 verse 8 says, Have them make me a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Now, we may have been speaking in that particular scripture when the Lord was about to erect the temple. It used to be the tent of meeting, but now he is establishing a temple where the people can come to worship. But we also know this morning and understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I would suggest to you and I would challenge you with a thought that what the Lord is expecting us to do as a people is to begin to believe, begin to build this temple of the Holy Spirit where God can dwell. Have them build a temple, a sanctuary for me, that I might be able to dwell among them. 
And the promise is in Psalms 91 and 1, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When you have God with you, you'll have the glory of the Lord with you. God dwellers are glory dwellers. Simple as that. But how many times do we make the mistake of coming to church? How many times do we make the mistake of trying to do something religious? Maybe even take a time of prayer and we say, Lord, show me your glory. Father, I want to dwell in your glory. Father, move in the Holy Ghost and do something for me. Let your glory fall like rain. Yet you've done nothing to search for him. You've not developed a daily walk with God during the week. You spend your life so busy and God seems to always take the back burner or the back seat to your life. But we cry. Fall like rain. Oh, Father, fall like rain. And we've done nothing to establish a relationship or an honest search for the presence of the Lord. So the first thing we need to do this morning, for those of us who say we need the glory of God, ask yourself this morning. Have you made an earnest search for him? Are you really seeking out the Lord? Have we become egocentrical, self-centered, or are we God-centered? Read the book of Haggai, the first, uh, Haggai, the first uh, couple of chapters, and you'll find that these people here, I'll just paraphrase for you just to make a point. But these people were in serious struggle in that book during that time. They were struggling in their lives. They were working hard and doing all these things. And they began to complain. And the prophet heard them. And the Lord heard their moanings. And I don't, I don't know. These people were maybe expecting that the more moaning they did to God, God was just going to come like a sugar daddy and give them a free handout. And we just come to tend to their need because they were complaining. They were struggling. They were working hard and getting nowhere. Their bodies were sick. Their finances were down. Businesses were closing out. Their homes were falling apart. Everything was in destruction in that time. Everything. The church looked like a mess. And so they begin to complain. And the prophet listens and God listens. And then the Lord spoke. And you would think that the Lord would have come with a suitcase of blessing just to make them feel better. But that's not what he did. Read the book. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Agai. And he says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains a ruin? Now at that time he may have been speaking about the actual physical temple. But can we... Take the challenge this morning and apply that us being the temple. That maybe the Lord is telling us that in these days we're so concerned about what we can gain for ourselves. That the temple of the Holy Spirit is so unattended that God cannot dwell. God cannot dwell. Our temples are in ruins. We want God to come and take a place in, in what we have not taken time to prepare for him. Is it time for you to be tending to yourself? You're so egocentrical. You are so self-centered, trying to gain everything for yourself in this world. Everything's for me. I'm trying to get this. I'm my this and the other. All these things. Is it a time for you to be living like that, yet the temple of the Holy Spirit you have neglected? She said, that's why you're working and your money's going through holes with pockets. This is why you have all the food you have, but you're still starving. This is why you look in the mirror and you see that you're all that, but yet you're weak. He said, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Search for the Lord. Search for him as Jeremiah 29, 11 would say, a very popular passage. We love to read that passage, for I know I have the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, and plans to give you hope in the future. We love that passage. I love that passage. And we stop. 
No, 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 no. That's only half the passage. If you want God to loosen what he said in the beginning, you've got to read the book until the end. You've got to read what he said till the end. And then he says this, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Oh, come on. You see, now that's commitment. Come on, for real. Isn't it like when you come to church and get all those boxes of free food? How I pray it would be. I'd be the first in line. But it's not that way at all. See, I'm a herald of truth, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not here to make it more difficult for you. What I am here to do is give you the answer that you need to know so that you can find the glory of the Lord. Seek the Lord. Secondly, advance towards his glory. That means move. Advance towards the glory of the Lord. Very popular passage. We've read this a few times or two from this pulpit. Joshua chapter 3. Find the, the people of Israel at a very, very pivotal point in their times. They were standing at the fords of the Jordan River. And it was a big challenge because we are told that it was during harvest time. That's when the rains were coming and the Jordan River was not a dry bed. It was rushing. It was full. But these people were a people of covenant. They had received the promise of the Lord that they were going to inherit a land that flowed of milk and honey. They were a people of promise. And they're standing here and between them and the promised land, between them and the miracle they were looking for was the Jordan River. Struggles and trials, pressures, challenges. And so the Lord ordains Joshua to speak to them and he says, tell the people, tomorrow morning when they see the Levites who are carrying the ark, get up and they make their way towards the Jordan River to get up and follow it. Get up and follow the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that doesn't sound like much, ladies and gentlemen, but if you know a little bit of history, you'll understand a few things that speak to me anyway. I, I hope that you understand what I'm trying to say. The people of Israel up to that day were used to others going to see and bring some of the glory of God. You see, they were so used to, these people were seeing Moses. Whenever it was time to inquire of the Lord, I even Moses. Moses was the one that would go to the tents of meeting and the people would wait outside. We need to inquire of the Lord. Pastor? He'd go meet with God and he'd bring back the news. The people were used to that. Now Moses at this time is dead. He's gone. And now they were barely beginning to trust Joshua. But they were still a people of covenant. But now God required a certain step of maturity that I believe the Lord requires of the church today. Please listen carefully. This will change your life. Something was about to change and shift in the lives of the people of Israel. Up to this day, they had to do no traveling. Remember, it was Moses who went up to Mount Sinai. It was Moses who would go out to the tent of meeting. It was Moses who would go out to meet with God in some desert place to meet with him at some burning bush, Abraham. Somebody else already went, always went, and these people always waited. But now, ladies and gentlemen, there was going to be a shift in their lives. There was a, a move of maturity that God required of them. He said, next time, now, if you want to see the presence of the Lord, when you see God move, get up and follow it. And for a people who are not used to doing anything, now it's going to be a matter of how much you want the glory of God. And so let me ask you again, how many want the glory of God? So let me ask you this, what are you willing to do for it? Pastor, bring the glory, Pastor. No. I bring it for me. 
I'm having a great time this morning. Woo! If you're not, don't blame me. I remember someone saying, walked into the church, not this church, but another church who walks in. He goes, I didn't even sense the presence of the Lord. And somebody heard him and said, did you bring him with you? You see responsibility? You see maturity? Everybody was used to doing something for them. They were used to having somebody do something for them all the time. But now he said, next time you move, you need to advance after the glory of God. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning that for those of us who desire to spend time and revel in the presence of God's glory, you're going to have to advance toward it. That means when you see God moving, you're going to have to get up from where you're at and move forward and chase after the presence of the Lord. You want something revival to happen in this house? How hungry do you want it? How bad do you want revival in this house? Oh, I wish I could sense God here. Well, then bring him. Chase after it. Chase after it. Isn't that your job, Pastor? No, I'm not Moses. No, no. I have one responsibility, and that's to bring the presence of the Lord into my life. I chase after him daily. So now it kind of gets a new meaning when somebody says it was a dead service. I'll stop there. Some of you are getting offended. Hmm. We need to move toward God. You want to see the glory of God? Move toward God. Advance toward God. Now, there's some things that will keep a person from moving toward God. One, these people were probably used to living on that side of the Jordan. You know how you say, I was born on this side of the tracks? Well, they were born on that side of the tracks, away just a dividing line between them and the promised land. And there's a lot of things that will cause somebody to stay on that side of the tracks. I was born here. Tradition. A lot of people won't come to the Lord and experience the presence of the Lord because of tradition. Well, I was born into this religion. I'll die in that religion. For others, it can become philosophy, ideas, religious beliefs, and certain customs. For young people, it might be places or friends or practices. For an adult like you and I, it might be letting just go of stubborn ideas, philosophies, opinions that keep you in the same place from jumping into the river and following after God. I want you to notice something, and I'll go to the last point this morning before I lose some of you. If you read that particular passage where it speaks to us about this, you'll find that once the people did exactly what Joshua said, when they saw the Levites carry the ark and go into you know what happened? They saw their first miracle like that. The Jordan opened. Anytime you move after God, anytime you begin to become a God chaser, God will begin to show you his glory. These people got up in the morning and they saw God move and they began to advance. And what happened, you would be thinking that some of them maybe were afraid. Oh, it's a rushing river, man. I don't know if I can, I can do that. Uh, whatever. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, but I want it. Let's go. The Canaan, man, the promise, the glory. Come on. Okay, let's go. <gasps> and the glory of the Lord appeared and they walked on dry land. How beautiful is that? Some of us are just at getting up and going away from a miracle in our lives. Some of us have been praying for a miracle. We've been asking God to do something in our life, but you have been so unwilling to get up from where you're at and advancing toward the glory of God. You can almost smell the miracle. You can almost taste the miracle, but it is just going to take those couple of steps to walk toward him, and you haven't done it. And it's kept you away from the glory. Let us advance before the Lord. And finally this morning, you have to be sensitive to his timing. Sensitive to his timing. Your relationship with God can never be God will do things when I want him to because that's not the kind of God that the Bible describes him to be. Some of us believe that God will do 
what he needs to do when we want him to do it. Or some of us believe that God will show up at Rock of Ages just because. God will show up at this particular church, at this particular revival. I don't care if it's a revival or a crusade or whatever. That God's just going to show up because as like he was just passing by and go like, oh, there's some, what's going on over here? Oh, he showed up. No, no. That's not who the Bible says he is. What the Bible says that God is, he's a God of appointed times. He is a God of a specific appointed times. He sets the stage up for himself for that those who are interested in him showing up do so by preparing to receive the king. If we ever want the glory of God to dwell in this house, in our lives, and as a corporate body or individually in your homes, your need to gonna be, you're going to have to be sensitive and prepare for the coming of the Lord. You know, we all love the story and the testimony of the upper room. We are Pentecostals. And the basis of our faith is found in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Lord outpour his Holy Spirit and people were baptized and they spoke of so of tongues uh, that the Spirit gave them utterance and all this the mighty rushing wind and all these wonderful things. That's what we base our Pentecostalism in the 50th day. Here we have the presence of the Lord. But did you know that Pentecost didn't happen just because? That all of a sudden somebody decided, hey, come over to my barbecue. And they were in the upper room and God showed up. No. If you go back a little bit and you read scripture, in Luke chapter 24, we see where the Lord told them, prepare. Get ready. Be sensitive. I'm going to do something. He says to them in Luke 24 and 46, he told them, this is what is written. This Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He said this, I am going to send you what my father has promised. He's setting the stage. He's giving them the information. If you're interested, listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to send you the promise of my father. That was enough to wet their lips. What? And what that was to do when Jesus said that was to birth anticipation. But it also was to wake them up and make them sensitive to be alert and waiting that God was going to do something. We always say from this pulpit, ladies and gentlemen, how many came into this house with expectant hearts? Right? You hear it. ¿Cuántos vinieron esperando que Dios hiciera algo grande? How many of us came with expectant hearts waiting for God to do something? And we say amen, but sometimes we say it frivolously. We say flippantly, not even thinking, because you didn't even prepare. But you walked into the church expecting Moses, the worship team, Moses, the pastor, Moses, your Sunday school teacher, Moses, your leader, to have brought the glory. Oh, you're awfully quiet. Does that mean you're learning something? I guess not. I said, does that mean you're learning something? He said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you what the, the Father promised. But here's the instruction. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Then you'll read again a little bit further. In the book of Acts now, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why do you think they went to the upper room? Because they were waiting. They made preparations. They were sensitive to the moment. We need to stay here. He said for us to anticipate he's going to do something. They were all in harmony. They had settled issues amongst them. We read in Scripture that even the apostles had issues. Just like Christians in the church have issues sometimes. 
they settled their situations and they all became to they came to this room and they settled their harmony and they began to to warm up to each other but they were waiting with anticipation god is going to do something and then the bible says suddenly <laughs> suddenly like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting god showed up but he didn't just show up because they were sensitive to his timing. The God that we serve, ladies and gentlemen, chose an appointed time to bring his son to earth and to send his son to this earth. He appointed the time of his life to live, die, and resurrect. He told Abraham, he said, at the appointed time next year, I will come and Sarah will have a son. Some people tried to delay the death of Christ on the cross as Peter did. Jesus, where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. Don't go there. They're going to kill you. He said, get behind me, Satan. You, know, you don't know what hour this is. Some people tried to hurry the death of Christ as Pontius Pilate said, do you know who I am? I have the authority to kill you. He said, you can do nothing unless my Father in heaven gives you the authority. Unless it's the timing that God, the Father, puts on the hour hand, then you can do whatever. But nothing happens out of the authority of God. And the Lord will never allow a man to take a hold of the throne of his authority and timing. So what does that mean for us? It means what Jesus said. He said, no one knows the hour of the Son of Man. He said, if a housekeeper knew when a thief was coming, he would vigil the whole house throughout the night. But you don't know when the Son of Man is coming. Therefore, be vigil. Be sensitive. Be ready. Be ready. And so as the Lord has ordained... An appointed time for all things. Let me tell you this and I'll finish. God ordains the times of revealing his glory. He doesn't just come reveal his glory because. He is an appointed time. And what motivates the heart of God to do things is the fact that he gives us fair warning like he did the disciples. I'm going to do something. We have word in the book of Joel when the Lord said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. How many believe that that promise still stands true? So shouldn't that put the church in anticipation? Shouldn't that put us with a sense of sensitivity going like, today? We need to be ready. Is God going to pour out of his glory today? I need to be ready for him to move. That's all we've been called to do. When they stood outside the outskirts of Bethany that day, him and the disciples, Jesus was about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Before they left, they said, hey, Jesus, are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to restore all this today? When, when are you going to do this? Because why are you asking me? You're asking me something the Father has left only unto himself. He knows the appointed time. But he said to them what we say to all of us this morning, what I believe the Spirit of the Lord says to all of us, he said, but be ready. I close as I begin this morning. How many of us desire the glory of the Lord? And now we challenge ourselves with this question, this very honest, mature question. You know how we hear about revivals firing up everywhere? People travel hundreds of miles, thousands of miles to go and see some revival in Florida, in Toronto, in Canada, wherever around the world. There's a fire going on. Everybody runs over there. And does the church ever ask itself, well, if they're having one in Toronto, how come we don't have one here? 
Why is there no revival at Rock of Ages, ladies and gentlemen? Why is there no revival in the valley that we've heard of? Why is there no revival that's huge that would draw the world to come over here to South Texas? Why? And you would say, well, you know, the pastors just aren't like those over there. Okay. Well, maybe the worship team, man. The worship team's over there at Elevation, at, over there at, the, at, the, at the, this other place, at Hillsong. Oh, man, those, no. Excuses, excuses. If you look in the mirror as a church, ladies and gentlemen, you might be surprised to find that the Lord would say to us, you're not ready. The Apostle Paul made a trip to the church of Corinth one time, the Bible says. And his desire was to pour out upon them greater gifts in the Lord. He expected to go to the church of Corinth and find mature Christians who had moving, who were now searching for God, who were advancing toward the Lord. And he went up there ready to give them gifts that were going to mature them. He was going to give them meat. But he says, when I came over here, I couldn't do any of that because you were infants. You were acting like children. I had to give you milk. He said, you're not ready for anything bigger in God, and yet you're still not ready. You're being worldly. He told the church of Corinth. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to challenge you this morning. We want the glory of God. That's how we began this morning. Remember the title, I Need You, Lord? The question of the hour is how bad do we want him? How bad do you want him in your home? How bad do you want him in your relationship with your wife and family? How bad do you want him at work? How bad do you want him in your own life? That's what it boils down to. We'll never be able to blame God, and God will never allow us to blame your neighbor, your wife, your friend. Because we've determined this one thing this morning, that the glory of the Lord is perpetual. It's here right now. And we heard the invitation in Scripture that said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink free. So as I ask you to stand. I ask you this morning. Is anyone thirsty? Are you tired of spending all your strength on things that don't satisfy? You've been able to make good money. You've been able to get a good education. You've been able to start a good business. You've been able to get a good raise at work. You've been able to accomplish things and good degrees on the wall. But has that satisfied your heart, your inner being? You say, I need, I need more. Well, we heard what the psalmist said. It is in his presence that you find fullness of joy. We've heard the invitation. If you want some, come and get some. But where can I find this glory? Well, you can find it in a relationship with God. But where is it when you see it advance toward it? Be sensitive. God will move in your life even so right now. I remember going to a service, ladies and gentlemen, years, years ago. And you know what the pastor did? This was absolutely, I've been to a couple of services in the past 40 years that have really blown me away. And I've never seen anything, not here, not anywhere since. It was very unique for the moment. And the pastor went up there when the church got there. He had the piano player uh, play music. And he sang a song that simply said, Come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. You know that song? Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come. In thy own special way. He said, enough. Find him. And he walked off the pulpit. And just like you stood there, everybody stood there. 
where did the pastor go? And all of a sudden in the crowd, Begin to raise their hands. And they begin to love on God. I need you. I need your glory. I need your presence in my life. I need you now more than ever, Lord. I need you now. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come any way you want, Lord. I need you. I want you. And they begin to worship. And in a moment's time, the church was in blessing. Nobody was singing. Nobody was yelling. But every single believer, young and old, began to come to the altar and bow before the Lord. And the church began to chase God. Too many things get in our way, ladies and gentlemen. Too many things get in our way. It's easy for us to speak Christianity. You love God, amen. How many want God's glory, amen? And you don't even mean it. When God asked you that question, you need to know what you're saying. Remember the Apostle Peter? They were sitting around that campfire and the Bible says that Jesus was there and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the first answer for Peter was probably like any one of us here would have answered, yes, Lord, of course you know I love you. And that was just his personality. He knew the lingo. He knew exactly what to say. Of course I love you. And the Lord Jesus looks at him again. He says, Rene, do you love me? <laughs> um, yeah, of course you know I love you. Do you love me? And at that moment, he fell apart. He said, oh, God. You are the living Savior. You are the Christ of God. You are my Savior. Of course I love you. And he broke up. Sometimes God has to ask us two or three times before he gets to the core of who we are and where we're at in our lives. Let the Holy Spirit ask you this morning, do you love God? Don't be politically correct. Oh, yeah, of course I do. It's the right thing to say. But let him ask you again, do you love me? And look into his eyes and see that Christ was not laughing and neither was he joking with Peter. He said, do you love me, son? He goes, I love you. Yeah. Ah, you're almost there. I, you're not convincing me. Do you love me? And I think Peter at that moment probably thought, you probably won't believe me, but I do. I love you more than anything, God. I need you more than anything in my life, God. I cannot exist without you, Savior. I need you, Jesus. Yes, I love you. Don't ask me again. It's torturing me. I love you. I love you. I know I haven't been living the way you want me to. But God, I love you. And at that moment, that's when the connection happens. With the glory of the Lord. That's when things become miraculous. That's when the Jordan opens. That's when disease flees. That's when unsaved children come to Christ. 
That's when broken marriages mend. Discouragement flees and broken hearts are mended. Right there at that juncture in life. Do you love me? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.